I was working for the Department of the Army as a budget analyst. And although I loved my job, I didn't feel like I was doing that thing that I was created to do. And I got sidetracked because I thought, listening to my mother, you're supposed to get the job that makes the money so you can pay the bills and get the big house. And I realized that I had the money, I had the car, I had the big house, but I still wasn't happy. But yet... I still was reluctant to move and do what God was telling me to do. So it was right after I experienced a stroke in 2010, I guess God slowed me down a little bit, that I started to reevaluate my life and decided that I needed to be doing what I was birthed to do. And so overcoming that struggle, because at the time, when I had the stroke, I was suffering from aphasia, which means difficulty informing words and being able to speak and I had to learn how to speak again how to form my words and to be more communicative and it dawned on me children today have a hard time communicating their feelings yes, their do. needs telling people what it is they want them to know in a very positive way so I decided that I would use that platform to help build self-esteem because if a child feels good about themselves, their communication skills are easier to develop. Well, that's the perfect way to kick my interview off. And for those of you listening to the audio version of this interview, this, by the way, is Wind's Women of Wisdom, and we are blessed enough to have Beverly on, Beverly on today, and we are talking about children and self-esteem and why she started the company. And unfortunately, she took off on me so I couldn't do my intro. <laughs> so, unfortunately, that's okay. I just let her go, and then we would do the intro after the first question. But my second um, question is, what's your greatest accomplishment? Wow. I think my greatest accomplishment is being a mother. I love my children. I love being around children. But more importantly, I think I was able to show them that even though you have some difficulties, even though there are struggles, you still get up and you keep going. And with the support of me and my husband, my children, I have three sons, have become very productive and responsible young men. So I think my my best thing I've ever done was being a mom. I thought you were going to say recovering from your stroke and <laughs> doing all this wonderful stuff. No, she says being a mom. Which, were they with you? Well, of course they were. I don't want to sound like an idiot. Um, were they with you when this stroke happened? And can you tell my listeners just a little bit about how the stroke happened? I mean, this was amazing. I mean, here I got your interview form, and you said, I want to talk about children and how they succeed in life. I didn't know you had a temporary disability yourself. Well, my, my sons were all adults at the time I had the stroke, and they were not 
in the same state as I was. I live in Alabama. So I had two sons that were in Virginia, and I had one son in Colorado Springs. And so at the time I had the stroke, I was working for the Department of the Army, and I was a highly functioning manager, which meant I could work at speeds of 100 miles an hour, and no one could keep up with me. And I think I got a little bit of, um, I don't know, pride, over pride from being in that position because I had several symptoms throughout the week prior to the stroke that I should have paid attention to that I didn't, like maybe sitting there listening to someone talk to me but not quite understanding what they were saying, Mm, dropping things dropping things on the floor, and I just said, oh, well, maybe I'm just tired. But that particular day, I was sitting at my office, and we were having a staff meeting, and I realized that I could not understand what anyone was saying. It was as if they were speaking a foreign language. That lasted about five minutes, and afterwards, I decided, well, maybe I'm tired. I'm going to go home. Yeah, I was crazy. So I drove home, got home, called my daughter-in-law, who's a nurse, and as I started to speak to her, she said, you're slurring your speech. You need to hang up and call 911. Well, I didn't do that. I decided I was going to call my health plan nurse uh, hotline. And as soon as I started to speak to her, she said the same thing. Ma'am, you're slurring your speech. You need to hang up and dial 911. You would think that I would have done it then, but I did not. My husband was due to come home, and I called him to see where he was. And the minute he heard me speak, he said, something's wrong with you. You're slurring your speech. Call 911. So eventually, I did that. And my husband arrived, and they took me to the hospital. And when they told me that I had suffered a stroke, I really didn't believe them, but by the time I got to the hospital, I was no longer able to speak. So if you can imagine sitting there listening to the nurses and the doctors talk about me while I'm in the room, and I can understand it, but I can't utter a word, it made me feel helpless. Trapped in the own body. Yes, but it humbled me because I said to myself, okay, God's trying to tell me something because I'm, I've always been a Christian and I've always been connected that way where sometimes because I'm stubborn, I don't always pay attention to the signs. So God usually throws something really big at me to slow me up. And that's what I said. So the doctor said it's going to take a while before you can speak normal and you may not be able to walk without some type of a walking cane. And I thought to myself, no, that's not going to be my life. So I did the physical therapy. I learned how to walk without a walking stick. And I rejoined Toastmasters because I was a Toastmaster at the time. I started all over from scratch, all over. And the way I'm speaking today is the result of all the hard work that I put in. Oh. Uh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> those of you listening on the other side, Beverly kind of told a little white lie on her intake form because she did not tell the story that you guys just heard. She told me, oh, I want to speak about kids. I want to speak about how they speak. Nope. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) And so... 
that is my next question. Where were you at the time when this all was happening and what made you want to help teens and young adults speak but speak fluently and better? When I was going through speech therapy to overcome my speech problems, I realized that for me, a stroke victim, it was a struggle. But for children who didn't have my disability, it was also a struggle. I was struggling trying to pull words that I knew that were in my mouth, that were in my head, that I could literally see and formulate a sentence. But it made me realize there are lots of children who don't have the education I have who are also struggling to find those simple words to define how they feel, to talk about what they want and their dreams. And they're asking for us to help, although they may not necessarily be able to put that question into a form that most people understand. So I found that children start to act out. When they don't know something, they act out. It's just what children do. I teach preschoolers, for those of you who do not know, my background is in education, and I've had hours and hours and hours of not only education myself, I'm actually working right now to go um, finish up a degree in education slash move on to a doctorate in special education myself. And I have cerebral palsy, and I just think that's fascinating because so many kids don't know what to say in the classroom. They don't say, I, I want something. They just burst into tears on me. And it's like, you guys, you are fully able-bodied preschoolers. You know the words, I want a cookie, or you know the words, I want um, the harmonica, I want to play the harmonica, and they may not say a full sentence, but they certainly know sentences, and that is my next question. Why do young kids do this to me? It drives me crazy. It drives me nuts. <laughs> Young kids are very interesting. If you think about it, when they were born, they had no communication skills that were verbal, but they could convey their needs to their parents in a way that parents could figure it out, yeah. maybe just by elimination. Yeah. So yeah. they still have that power, but as they get older, something happens. All that other things that they used to communicate with their mom and dad when they were little babies starts not to be, uh, I guess, the approved way of doing it. What do we tell our kids? Stop crying so much. But if you ask yourself when a baby's crying, you don't tell the baby to stop crying. Yeah. You try to find out what's wrong. His diaper is wet. Perhaps he just wants to play. He's tired. He needs a bath. Something. And as they get to be that preschool age we're constantly telling them don't be a crybaby stop crying but that is their primary form of communicating and unless we as parents and people in this village it takes to raise a child 
teach those little kids how to start to communicate in other ways, that's the only way they have to go. I mean, I I know a lot of people teach their kids sign language mm-hmm. at young ages, which I think is fascinating. And so what, I don't know how to put this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Anyway, what would you recommend to the average Joe who's listening to this podcast and they have the kid who knows how to form a sentence but they don't ne- they don't know how to necessarily get it out. Okay. Okay. So I'm assuming that I'm going to make a huge assumption that from the time this baby was conceived and born that the parent has been talking to them because that's what I did. Before my sons were born, I used to talk to them. My husband was in the military, so it was usually me at home on my own. And so I would talk to my babies and I was always talking to them. Didn't use baby talk, talk to them like we're talking today. And I think that what happens is when you do that, you waken something in their mind and you help them to learn what certain words mean and you help them with their emotions because you speak a certain tone when you're happy and you speak a certain tone when you're sad and children are brilliant, they truly are, and they can pick up on all of that. But sometimes what I'm noticing is parents today are so young And not to diss the parent, but sometimes they became parents before they were actually ready to become parents, meaning they hadn't even finished living their young lives before they became parents themselves. Now, they're not the source of the problem, but when that happens, a parent can only give to the child what the parent has themselves. And that's why I think that The village it takes to raise a child requires every member of the village to participate in a way that they feel comfortable. So those parents who may not know that I should be talking to my child, I should be reading to my child, I should be doing things with my child. The village is the persons who step up and assist the parent in that area by showing them things that they can do to further along their child's communication. Yes. Or further further their education, their child education on diversity, in my case. I mean, I'm the only teacher at my school where I work who is disabled and who tries, as hard as I can, to teach diversity. Yes. And... That's a whole nother episode in itself. Yeah, that falls into that category of empathy uh, as well. We need to teach them that as well. Yeah. But what has been your greatest accomplishment in all this, in your work-wise, other than being a mom? My best accomplishment was when I first started my writing workshop for children, And I decided that the kids were going to create their own story, allowing them to write about whatever it is they wanted to write about. 
the first day of the workshop, the children came in and they were a little, um, I guess, I won't say in introvert. They were quiet. They were a little timid. They didn't even have confidence in what they were able to accomplish because most of the time the parents were surprised and stunned at the end of the workshop what their children actually produced. But seeing the face of this little girl, her name was Millicent, and she came in and she was afraid she wouldn't be able to write anything. And she was afraid that when she wrote something, nobody would find it interesting. And she thought everything she did would be wrong. At the end of the six-week workshop, she had a book that was bound. She had a certificate of authorship. And she was the proudest little girl because when her mother saw the book she created, her mother literally cried. She said, I didn't know my daughter could do that. Millicent was six years old. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <coughs> and for those of you who are listening, I also write. I also um, use how I do my writing is Apple's Siri Dictation. That's what I was doing right before this interview. And so I teach through my books as well. And I'm slowly but surely working on a children's book, which should be out in January, so I hope. But I, I want to get to the point where people don't treat these kids, and including me, like an idiot. And I say that mildly because people think I don't have the sharpest IQ in a box. Yet, I do. Math is not my strong point. I admit that. I'm terrible at math. But um, my verbal skills are perfectly fine. And these kids, getting back to you, these kids have perfectly fine verbal skills. They just don't know how to use them. So what would be the baseline process that we all start with them? The simplest thing to do is something we're probably already doing. We're just not doing enough of it. We allow children to draw pictures of things and they show us their pictures. And most of the time we don't really know what the pictures mean because sometimes you have to admit those pictures are almost like Picasso drawings, but they're still works of art. Yes. And these are opportunities to engage your child in a conversation to tell the story that the picture reflects. When you get the visual and then they are able to tell you why they drew it, what the person is doing, now you have created a story. And what I used to do with my grandson, Benjamin, who's nine now, is we would sit down and we would draw pictures. And then we would pretend to tell stories based on the pictures we drew. But I recorded him as he made up his stories and he made up his characters and he told me what they were doing all the way to the end of the story. And I was also asking questions. Well, why does he have a sword? And where is his horse going? And why is his house in the woods? Things like that. And at the end, I listened to the recording and I typed up the story and I presented it to Benjamin and he didn't even realize he had written a book, but he had written a book. It's the first step and the most easiest thing that parents can do because all you really need is a smartphone to record what they're saying, yes. a pen and a piece of paper and maybe some crayons. 
and get them started. It doesn't have to be something that you do tonight and it's done. It no. can be something that you set aside one day a week to work on together. That's a great project for over the summer. Keeps yes. the kids occupied and keeps the kids busy. Yes. And so when you say writing a book, people think I'm insane for doing what I'm doing, but I'm not, I'm not insane because you proved me wrong to say that um, we should start early literacy, hinted. And so what age does your program start? I start at age five. I believe in getting them really early. And there are, they do picture books. If they aren't able to put words to the picture books, then I do that for them and help them. But at the age of five, they're pretty much good at communicating verbally. They know some words. They know what they don't want to do. They can tell you that really good. And yes. if, you just, if you just take those words and then start engaging them early, at, say at age five, in communicating about all kinds of things while you're driving in the car, talk about the color of the next truck that's coming up. Oh, look at those big trees. What do they remind you of? And if you just started to record some of the things that your children say, it will become so apparent how you can make that, to embellish that even more, to, to help that to grow and blossom even more into a story or even just being able to stand up and communicate, telling their story to someone. They're proud of that because even they didn't realize they could write a story. No. No. And it's. And I'm going to be the devil's advocate here. But I'm going to be the witch as well. <laughs> and the witch will ask this question first, and then the devil's advocate will come back. But the my question that will sound kind of witty to parents is because of technology. How do we get our kids to communicate better with technology? Wow. I haven't found that as a problem because I have three-year-old grand twins who actually have iPads. And I was visiting with them in Colorado Springs three weeks ago. And I was absolutely amazed at how they were able to maneuver the iPad to get to what they wanted to see. So I'm thinking the key is to load those technology items with things that attract the children's attention. Those iPads were loaded with fun games for little kids color identification, uh, learning uh, exercises, cartoons, all kinds of little things that children love to see and everything was animated, they were working it probably better than grandma would be working it because they could tell which iPad belonged to which twin based on what was on the screen. And it was amazing. Our kids are, like I said, brilliant and they are in this technical technology kind of world they're not like we were when we were coming up they are born wanting to use something something what about the little 
I think they're called recorders that's in the bedrooms when we listen to make sure the baby's asleep. Yeah. There's technology everywhere around that child. And they're ready to embrace it. I think if there's a limit, the limit is coming from the adults. Yes. Because they're so good at communicating through the iPad. It's amazing. Yeah. And for those of you listening... I did not get the internet until 1997, and I did not get a cell phone until age 18, and for now, they are handing kids cell phones in preschool, practically. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, toy cell phones, more, more or less, because they want the cell phone but it's so my question to you is when a kid is when a young child is using an iPad should we communicate with them or let them be what I found was when the twins were using the iPad, they engaged me because they were eager to show me what they were watching and to tell me what they knew. So it's a great time to engage your kids. You don't have to talk about anything heavy. Just talk about what you see and allow them to set the stage for what it is they want to talk about. Because when you're with them and they're in that iPad and they've got those I think it's called Talking Ben, which is this little dog that talks and repeats what you say. When they're watching that, you're in their environment. So as a member of the environment, you're just a visitor. This is where they live all the time. So just engage them. You can ask them questions. They'll answer them if they want to. But they'll start to communicate with you, and eventually you'll find out how they want to talk, what they want to show you. And the twins were amazing. I was surprised because I didn't realize at the age of three that they were going to be able to point out things, pull up videos, look at cartoons, laugh about them, sing the songs along with the cartoons. I was really amazed. But you have to you, you have to use appropriate types of technology. And you yeah. still have to be a parent and make sure that you are yes. making everything safe. Yeah, but not. there's nothing that is not hooked up to the Internet. It's not hooked up to Wi-Fi at all. It just has all these little videos loaded that they can watch anytime they want. Um, yeah. So it and now KDP, which is Kindle Direct Publishing, has a version of a child children's book maker too. I didn't know if you knew that, and so. Um, and so it's interesting because kids are happy as glam reading books and on mommy's iPhone and on daddy's iPad, but they're not so happy when you take away the iPad and make them speak to you because mm -hmm. they, I'm laughing because they have the communication skills they just don't know how to use them right and so it's interesting to me watching a group of preschoolers 
on the young side, and one's a bully. He's a big kid, but um, it's interesting because the kids, most of my kids know how, and I say mine because I teach them so I feel like a mom, but most of my kids know how to communicate. There's a couple of them who <laughs> do not know how to communicate. And they do not, when you look at them straight in the eyes, they do not know how to quit crying and do all that. So what do we do about that? One thing that is the most difficult thing in the world is to, is to gain trust, to have a child trust you as a person who's going to listen to whatever it is that they have to say without making a judgment or being critical. And that's a process. When you get a child for the very first time in your class, I find that I also have to show them who I am. I am in charge, but I'm a person who's there to help them. They don't believe that at first. They don't know that at first, but that's something that you have to learn to do in order to help children and to to bring them to a point where they start to feel good about themselves with high self-esteem and self-confidence, you're going to have to build some type of a bridge of trust between you and the child. Because children, they say a lot of things, but they say the important things to tell the people they trust. I like that. And... Um... I believe that they say more things to their mommies and daddies, even without the iPad, than they do to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> even though um, they may trust a teacher, they're not because, especially a teacher on a walker, my God, they see a big scary thing with wheels before they see our human. And um, and my colleague mentions it once at the beginning of the year and if they don't have any questions, she never brings it up again. Mm -hmm. And so I'm now thinking that I'm going to tell her that we may have to have this conversation again in January. The yes. same conversation. And it's so funny because I did the Kona Iron Man and um, long story behind that one. And when I mentioned to the kids, look, I'm doing a swim, bike, and run, and I nailed it down to their concept. Do you remember when, do, do you know when I asked them, the week before I'm leaving, where is Miss Wynn going on an airplane? They go, she's going to Hawaii, which was correct. And I said, well, what am I doing? And they go, swim, bike, and run. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and my, um, when I was trying to plan an assembly for these kids, my boss at the time was shocked when I said, you know, the kids know the concept of the Kona Iron Man? 
you know that? And he's like, what? <laughs> and I said, well, they do. And so that really dawned on me that these kids, even though they have small attention spans, they have bigger minds than we give them credit for. And yes. so that's why I think communication skills are key. And the um, tips you gave me as an educator slash uh, interviewer in my own life document everything are wonderful tips. And so what is your biggest life lesson in all of this? Hmm. My biggest life lesson is we are not here for some frivolous reason. I believe all of us have a gift. Every one of us have a story to tell. And the hardest thing in the world is coming to grips and learning to embrace the purpose that you have been given for being here on this planet. Once you figure that out, everything else seems simple. I believe that my purpose is to work with children. And now that I've started to actually embrace that, nothing I do is more important than that. Because I want to leave a legacy, not just for my children and grandchildren, but for other children to use in their everyday life. And that's really important to me. And that's beautifully said, by the way. And so you work with kids, but do you work with adults? Do you work with teens as well? Yes, I do work with children ages five and up. I am also a life strategist coach, and I work primarily with women. Women who may be mothers, sisters, daughters, they all have an impact on children's lives because I believe the women who are the nurturers of this world are the ones who will make the biggest impact in our children's lives. So I work with women together with 79 other women in my group, and we basically foster a relationship with each other so that we can help each other in whatever it is that we feel challenged or we inspire to do so that the outcome is we're raising better children who are able to live a great life. I'm sitting there about to fall off my chair because of <laughs> your, the statement you just said. And I'm going to read a quote behind Beverly for those of you who are listening to the audio of my podcast, Wind Women of Wisdom, I'm actually going to read this quote, and it goes, want to live your best life. And I'm going to have Beverly explain why that quote is hanging up in the office. <laughs> yes, that quote is hanging in my office. It's my mantra. I say that every day. Everybody has a right to dream. Everybody has inspirations. <sighs> things they want to achieve in their lives and everyone <laughs> has an absolute right to have the tools they need to achieve those goals and live the best possible life they can. That's why that's my mantra. When I get up in the morning and I come in my office, it's the first thing I see and I ask myself, 
What are you going to do today to help someone take that next step to living their best life? Oh my God, that is amazing. And is there any correlation between that mantra and what looks like a dragonfly above it? Uh, <laughs> no, I have a thing for butterflies. I like butterflies of all colors and shapes. And that was given to me by my aunt who passed away in March. She was 97 years old. But she gave me that when I retired from working for the Department of the Army. So I, I like to keep things that I really love and hold dear close to me when I'm working in my office. Well, I'm sorry. I said it looks like a dragonfly. Excuse <laughs> me. It's a butterfly. And I think that's the perfect um, quote because living your best life is a metamorphosis of the butterfly caterpillar. Mm -hmm. So um, if you live your best life, you eventually turn into a butterfly. And that's my quote for this episode of Wind's Women of Wisdom. Now, where can we find you online? I am on Facebook, but you can find me easier if you go online. I'm at www dot beverly dot org and i'm presuming that people can contact you and if they're interested in your kid book classes mm -hmm. so to speak are they a after school program or what Yes, they can contact me on the website. The website is my landing page, and it has everything that I have to offer. It's full of information, and you can also contact me from the website. So, beverlyjonesdur.org is your, my central location. And my central location, for those of you who are listening to this podcast, is when... W-I-N, Charles, C-H-A-R-L-E-S, Wix.com, slash WinCharles. And you can find my audio books. You can find my books. You can actually Google my name and essentially find all my books on Amazon. You could find my original, original book, which is I Come a Win on Amazon. So... That's me, and it's easiest if you Google both Beverly and mine, and so then you can find us, and I'm sure she's on social media, but as she said, the central location is her main website, which is beverlyjonesdur.org, and that's D-U-R-R -R before the dot org, and my last name is Charles, C-H-A-R-L-E-S, just in case you guys miss, missed that. And it was wonderful having her on. I'm sorry, a little side note, this interview had to get shifted due to technology. <laughs> and so I'm happy we got it in. The technology, Glenwood's Glenn got to the beautiful speaking aspect of it. I'm like, 
yeah, that's <laughs> not good. So I'm happy we got it in, and I'm happy that you guys enjoyed another fabulous episode.